Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. So I am totally fully aware that having just spoken to you for a few moments, I am speaking differently. And it's because your voice has such a calming influence. I've literally just noticed that I don't (laughs) normally talk this quiet. This is lovely. Um, Finn Anderson, thank you so much for being on The Brawn the Brave and calming (laughs) calming me down. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad that I give the illusion, the external illusion of calm. I can guarantee you that inside this head, it does not always feel that way. But yeah. Well, knowing just some of the amazing work that you've produced and are producing, I can only imagine what is going on in that beautiful mind of yours. But um, I can't thank you enough. I mean, the list is endless. Um, I've got singer, songwriter, composer, lyricist, script writer. Um, and I think I was first introduced to your music. It was a clip from Boa Frosh, uh, because I had Man of the Minch on the podcast during the pandemic last year. And obviously you just go down a rabbit hole. And then I found this clip of your song Funeral. Yeah. With the step dancer and, and a choir of voices. And I was like, what is this? This is like, it just grabbed me. Hmm. Yeah, that was with that was at the first um, Celtic Connections gig that happened as part of Boafrosh, which is a, a bigger project. Maybe we'll chat about. But and with step dancer Nick Nick Garis is his name, and then kind of a whole ensemble of of other folk musicians. That was such a special night, such a beautiful, beautiful thing to be a part of. Absolutely. But it was just the arrangement of the song and the words. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a beautiful setup, and obviously the voices were lovely, and the step dancer was a u- unique quality. But it was. The, the, the song itself that captured me and ever since then you know just doing a bit of a deep dive into your catalogue of music I, I think your music's really like captivating for want of like a better word like I, there's so many so many adjectives so I, I'm really I'm desperate to get into it but you know if we're going in chronological order I wonder sure. what is your um, earliest memory of music being in your life? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm really lucky in that I grew up in a family where music was just around. Um, and neither of my parents were professional musicians, but there was always music in the house, you know, playing around the house. Um, my, my parents have very different tastes in music. My, my dad likes a lot of jazz and a lot of a pop from when he was around. And um, and Joni Mitchell, he's a big fan of Joni Mitchell. My mum loves a lot of Scottish traditional music and it's really big into into folk. Um, and so I grew up listening to, to what they listen to, which I guess is what you do, don't you, as you're growing up. Um, and yeah, they both sing and my dad plays a bit of piano and my mum plays a wee bit of guitar, not professionally, but um, but actually some, like some of my earliest memories were in theatre. So it was, although music is... Yeah, it's such a massive part of my life. It's always kind of been music and theatre alongside one another. And they took me to the theatre when I was younger. And I remember that, yeah, music being used to tell a story always really, really excited me, whether that was folk songs or Joni Mitchell or musical theatre. But it was this, it was the stories that were told through the music. Yeah, and I think that is what grabbed me about your music is that storytelling element. Um, you know, being a choreographer and working on a number of musicals over the years, that has been such a part of my life that, you know, you're telling these amazing stories through song and just a number of your tracks just totally grabbed me and the storytelling of it, you just feel like you're there, you can envisage it, you're almost walking that path with you and I think that's like such a special quality and, and, you know, in someone who writes music, I mean, it it blows my mind. you know, you're saying when you were younger, music was obviously in the house and it was a part of your life. When do you remember first wanting to pursue music in any shape or form, singing or playing an instrument or being on the stage? I think that my earliest like creative memories were definitely about wanting to put on plays. Like I wanted to put on shows in my living room. I wanted to perform for everyone. Um, and my mum always laughs. She says, you know, loads of kids put on shows in the living room, but 
there's not many kids that go around all the neighbours with tickets, charging them 20p and going around the whole house and getting all the lamps to make a lighting design. And like, I was, I was very committed to my living room, living room entertainment. It wasn't even in my living room, it was probably in my bedroom. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and, and it was then I remember the first time, and you know, that was just from going to see Christmas shows and, um, and you know, Disney and the things that influenced us when we were younger, but I was just, I just wanted to perform. And, and then my mum took me to see a musical. It was Dr. Doolittle. I think I must have been six or something. Yes. And after that, it was, I wanted, I'd been putting on plays, but then I wanted to put music in my plays. And so the kind of, the, the desire to write music and play music came from wanting to put music into theatre things. And I remember my dad taught me four chords on the piano because he we had an old, a really old sort of, I mean, it, you couldn't play anything on it now it, it, the sustain pedal was stuck on on this piano so like you would play everything sounded great when you couldn't play because the sustain just makes it sound you know wafty and washy but um yeah my dad taught me four chords on this piano and and he says that i went away and like wrote like 50 songs and then just came back and was like right i've run out of chords now you need to teach me some more um so yeah I guess um, That's amazing. Yeah, and I've learned to play music through through writing music. You know, I'm not a classically mm. trained musician, and and that my knowledge of the piano and has has all come through through creating music, really. Which means I'm terrible at playing other people's stuff. But <laughs> well, I don't think you need to. I don't think you need to be worrying about that. <laughs> but that is lovely that you have those quite distinct memories of mm. theatre and storytelling and music coming into your life. But not in a dramatic way, like you're saying, it wasn't like all consuming in the sense that your parents weren't professional musicians. It wasn't like necessarily written in the stars that you that's what you were going to end up pursuing. Was there a pivotal moment where, you know, you're becoming a young adult and you've been writing music and you've been that it's in your world? Was there a pivotal moment where you were like, actually, this is what I want to pursue? There were a few moments, I guess. Um, it's weird because it feels like I started doing that when I was really little and and through being very lucky and having supportive parents, like that was something that was able to grow. And it's just sort of grown into a career over time. Like I was at school and, and the teacher allowed me to kind of rehearse during lunch times and put on a show in the afternoon and, and brought the, all the class class out to watch it. And that kind of happened in primary <laughs> school and then in secondary school. It, yeah, kind of, uh, yeah, it grew. And and from there, I guess, yeah, there was, a t- there was definitely a time... Um, in my teens where that wasn't so cool and that was kind of when my singer songwriter stuff started so it was um yeah when you're 14 and writing musicals as a boy at high school you're not necessarily the the bee's knees and so that, that was kind of the first time i ever started writing songs like locking myself away and writing songs about my feelings um and it was after that that i actually i then left school and, and studied music just like um songwriting and singing and then it was while doing that that I realised, oh, actually, no, what I really miss is theatre. Um, yeah, so I, I was really lucky to get into a, a master's in, in London after a, week, a college course in Perth, which was it's the only course in the UK, still is the only course in the UK that teaches musical theatre writing. And so I got a place there to study there for a year. Just been a journey of, yeah, of, of being more and more sure, I guess, over time. That that's what of course. As a young queer kid growing up in rural Scotland, you know, to then be landed in a space full of performers where you go, oh, okay, like, it's okay that I don't like football. I belong here. Um, and th- those moments of belonging are probably the biggest turning points for me. Yeah, I mean, having, I work with young people predominantly and, um, you know, I'm just like, hold on to these passions. Don't let them go, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I even, you know, myself as a, a young person at one point gave up dance because, you know, everybody was going out at the weekend and everybody was getting a part-time job and that was what you did. I'm just so lucky that I found it again, you know, and it became my career, but it really wasn't the path mm-hmm. initially. But it's funny that, you know, these external pressures or external circumstances, they do influence you at that age. And it's all right, us adults saying to young people, you know, stick in and never mind what anybody says. And mm. But I guess you find your own path back to if it's meant to be I guess I guess so yeah it's a tricky one isn't it because some people do end up continuing and some people fall away and move on to other things and find other passions and and yeah it's it's, I do sort of feel like I've never had a choice about what I wanted to do but I'm also aware that a huge amount of luck and privilege has enabled me to keep doing it too over the years so um, Mm. I'm very grateful for that 
but it's that finding your tribe as well and having seen some of the footage on you know your instagram and stuff like you're clearly like a collaborator you mm. surround yourself with other people that are creative and um the things that you've made and obviously we'll get into that so it is finding those people that you're like oh yeah you're you're my people yeah and it's so great isn't it as an adult that like, you can you can build your own family you know you can choose your family and I, I love my family a lot but um it's it's great you know you inherit friends when you're younger and you inherit the people that are in your class or that your parents um go introduce you to or that you know you're at school with and and then as you get older you can really build your tribe and find the people that really set you on fire in your own way and that's such a great thing i think i was going to ask this question later down the line but something you said there earlier on made me think about this um do you think there's a push and pull in terms of like you're writing for theatre and then you're writing as a solo artist, a singer-songwriter? Mm. Is it one of the same thing or are they totally different worlds? It's something that I've struggled with over the years to yeah, to work to answer that question, I guess. Um for a long time I felt like I had to keep them very separate. And I felt like people well, I, I guess just in a industry sense, I felt like people in the music industry wouldn't take me seriously if I wrote musicals and people in the theatre industry wouldn't take me seriously if they thought I was a singer-songwriter and and also kind of saw them as very different art forms. And they are really different. Um, I guess my singer-songwriter stuff is always very personal and it comes from quite an autobiographical place. And my work for theatre is always more about story and, and knowing what kind of story you're trying to tell and um and they're also just for really different audiences a lot of the time as well. But but yeah, I think more than ever at the moment, I'm embracing that the crossover between them and that mm. they, I love them both and they give me really different things. But also I learned so much about storytelling from telling my own stories. And I, I learned so much about collaborating and, and making music with different people from my work in theatre. So they, yeah, they really feed one another. And so many people over the years have told me I have to choose one or the other and I'm really glad that I didn't take that advice. Yeah, I was shaking my head like, don't, don't, mm. just choose <laughs> yeah. one. Because because I, I think even choreographically, you know, I've choreographed what I would say was creative movement for theatre. And then I'll, the next minute I'll be choreographing like a proper jukebox musical, do you know what I mean? With like the 40 million greatest hits of Elvis. Yeah. And I'm loving life. And I love both equally. Yeah, you're right. They're, you're pulling on various mm. strings and different skill sets, but... But they do feed off each other. They inform each other. They they almost inspire each other as well. I think you find things doing one thing that you would never have found to then almost speak to the other totally. discipline. Totally. Yeah. To me, I've just come out of the process of making an album, and like the partly due to lockdown and, and all kinds of other circumstances, the amount of time and care I've been able to put over all the different elements of that. You know, like really dig into the lyrics and really spend time on them and, and the arrangements and the production in like a really focused way and whereas in theatre it's often you know you've only got a certain amount of time and you're trying to put it all together quite quickly you don't have time to necessarily hone in on all of those tiny details and and I think having made this album out the next thing I go on to write musical theatre wise I think I will approach in a different way too so yeah mm. you learn different things from from them both so writing an album <laughs> What does that entail? How, what is your creative process? Has it evolved over the years, you know, up to this moment? Because you're literally just released. Yeah, it's, it's a week and a half. A, a week and a half. Oh, that's amazing. I feel like I'm giving <laughs> you, like, the best time. Oh, yeah, it's a nice time. Um, sharing sharing something you've been sitting with, you know, and, like, holding on to is always, is always really nice. I know it's quite scary too, but... Um, yeah, it's this album was different to so I've made two albums as a singer songwriter and and the first one because it was my first album was made up of songs that were written over like a ten year period so that they were the oldest one was one I wrote when I was like sixteen seventeen um, but you know they were just sort of the songs that felt like I wanted to put on an album at that time um, so I didn't set out to write an album they're just songs that I'd you know I just sort of it sounds cliche but I just sort of write as a byproduct of existing like I'm always writing songs you know uh, sometimes I'll write 10 songs in a week sometimes I'll write one in a month but like I'm just always writing songs that's that's just part of um that's just what I do I guess and that's how I how I process things and um have the conversations I'd never have in real life but <laughs> yeah um but so I guess, yeah, the first album came out of just being like, oh, I want I want to make an album and I've got all these songs. I've got to choose some. And the second album 
I didn't, again, I didn't set out to write an album, but I was a lot more aware. They were all written over a much shorter time and, and therefore they all feel like they speak to each other a lot more. And, and as I was writing them, it began to be clear that they were an album of songs. And so that started to inform the writing too and kind of thinking about how they cross over the different themes and thinking about the title while I was still writing the songs. And and so, yeah, this one feels a lot more like it was created as 10 songs that are meant to be together. Nice one. And is it, is it predominantly sitting down at the piano? Do you write the melody first or are you a lyrics person first? How does it work? Yeah, I'm definitely a, I'm like a, I'll have a feeling or I'll have like a moment or a memory or you know something i'll sit down at the piano or sometimes i'll just sit down at the piano and i'll be improvising and something will come but usually all the songs come from a place of like improvising at the piano so i'll be at the piano just playing some chords um sometimes i'll just play for ages and nothing is any good um or yeah or sometimes i'll be out for a walk and i'll have like an idea for one like melody hook with just with that comes with like a lyric attached um it's like one of the songs on the album called The Lighthouse and the first lyrics, I'm my father's son, I'm my mother's daughter. And it's like that melody. And that just came to me while I was walking through the woods. Um, and so, th- and then I'll kind of just record it on my phone. And then next time I sit down at the piano, I'll maybe try and work out where it goes. So, mm. but yeah, it's usually like a seed of an idea is either a melody or one lyric idea or a chord sequence or a thing on the piano. And um, sometimes I know what the song's about before I sit down. To write it sometimes yeah i don't know i still don't know what it's about even though it's finished um so yeah <laughs> and that's the thing you put out your your baby these 10 songs into the world and then people take their own meaning from mm. the words of something that's really like something that you really find is so personal or you've written a song and you're like i don't know where this came from but it obviously came from my subconscious mm. but then people take these songs on and they make them their own and that just must be such a weird but exciting feeling to know that this is going out in the world and people are going to be listening to it and they're going to be making it part of their life and their story. It's such a beautiful thing and such a strange thing. Um, yeah, there's one of my favourite Joni Mitchell quotes that she she says when she wants people to listen to her songs and she she's talking about the idea of celebrity and she says, I don't want people to listen to my songs and see me. I want people to listen to my songs and see themselves. And like, I, I really resonate with that. I want people to, my, these, the songs on this album are more personal and intimate and actually honest. Like they are very honest in quite a raw and scary way. Um, but the messages that I get are not people going, oh, you were so sad or oh, I'm so sorry you had that heartbreak. It was, I listened to this song and it brought me to this point in my life or it helped me through this thing. And yeah, that, that's kind of magic, isn't it? But it shows how much shared humanity we've got, you know. Um, and that is the power of music, you know, to you have that outlet for your own feelings, like you're saying, like that's your way of expressing and processing the world and the things that happen to you and your feelings, but also then it has the power to captivate somebody else and, and soothe or, you know, excite them or use it in celebration or to mourn. How do you decide to be that open and honest and personal and put that out in the world yeah it's funny because yeah i was talking to somebody the other day and they sent me a message they're just they were just saying that oh, it's so brave and like bold that you can be that honest and i don't really think of it like that i, I guess it's that weird it's that weird moment like when you realize that people are going to listen to the song but I, I, I don't think you can think about that when you write it because if you're thinking about that then you'd never write like you'd just be paralyzed well me anyway you know i'm not writing pop songs that i want to like think about exactly the effect i want them to have on people i'm writing songs that express mm-hmm. where i'm at and and then later down the line i hope that they'll reach people and and they'll have an effect but yeah it's it's, it's more about sitting at the piano and saying what i need to say in that moment i guess and and being honest feels important to me as a as a songwriter but it's not something i I see as being brave or like a big statement but that said I do think it's become an important part of my work sort of by accident um and you know yeah as men as British men we're not encouraged to be vulnerable and to be open and to wear our heart on our sleeve and and that is something that I am happy to celebrate and champion because there are far too many emotionally unintelligent and unavailable men out there i know i've met a lot of them <laughs> <laughs> you're like here listen to my music this is how it's right. done. <laughs> 
take a leaf out of my definitely book. not but it's such a such a freeing thing like and you know you you must feel so privileged i, I know I, that i do through dance like I, I found something that i can express myself mm. via you know it's like a vehicle for that and, and you know and that's the privilege of finding something that you love to do that you know it's a bonus that you're excellent at it but it's just there's something that you can gravitate towards when you feel like you need to get something out that you can do it at the piano yeah you don't necessarily need to have sit down and have a conversation with somebody and open up and more and more your, I feel like that would be enough like just for me to write mm. them the sharing part is a bonus but i get so much out of writing my songs um and it's, it's beautiful when when other people like them of course and do you have is there a go-to person in your life that you run them by before mm. they become like oh the, the, this is definitely going out in the world at some point do you have a, a go-to person for that <laughs> i've got some <laughs> i've got some really close friends or one really close friend in particular who i work with a lot um she's a, a theater director and we called tanya as a video and we work together a lot and i'll often send her like little snippets of things um like when it's in very early stages. But then, yeah, with this album, I did have kind of a long list, I think of like 15, 20 songs before we even went into the studio that I sent to a bunch of people and was like, just which ones resonate with you. And then ultimately what always happens is that everyone says different ones and you just have to make your own mind up anyway. Um, but yeah, there's there's some people I share things with. But yeah, the thing of sharing, sometimes you feel like you've spoiled the, the magic. It's like when something's still in its state where it could change and it could morph like when someone else has heard it somehow that like fixes it that's probably the biggest difference actually between my theater work and my solo work is mm. that in my songwriting work i can just sort of do whatever i want and put it, the songs that i really want to put on and write them in the way i want to write them and produce them in the way i want to produce them and there's not that kind of constant compromise and push and pull that you've got in the theater rehearsal room which i love but also means you have to kill your you know darlings a lot of the time so yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think you've got the best of both worlds with the sounds of things. I think you've just nailed it in terms of getting all the things that you you love mm-hmm. and you get, you know, that fuels your passions. Um, in terms of like collaborations and, and, and then I guess through your studies and, and having worked in this world for a long time, you will be curating, you will be taking people along with you that you just love to work with. Are you writing all the parts for your album? Are you influenced? Are you asking people to come up with you know, a cello part or a fiddle part or, or is that all you? No, so it is very it is very collaborative um, with this album. I had, so all, all the musicians, most of the musicians came up with their own parts. So like the drummer and the bassist and the fiddle player all came up with their own parts, which we worked on together in the room. Um, and I, I kind of had a big playlist of influences and I had a lot of, you know, I was guiding things. But, but yeah, I, I want people to be able to bring their own creativity to it. Um, and I worked with a friend who arranged the string parts so like the violin and cello, the more kind of orchestral parts. He he did the string arrangements um, for that. And yeah, but like all the kind of vocal, all the vocal parts and all the harmonies and piano parts is all kind of me either, you know, working out at home or coming up with ideas in the studio. And um, yeah, it's it's always a push and pull. You kind of, I think a good creative process in, in a way is when you get to the end and you can't remember who did what. That you can't remember who who contributed what. You just know that you all made this thing together. That is so true. Preparing for for talking to you, um, and I think I already remarked on your speaking voice. <laughs> but I was just thinking about. I feel as if I'm gushing at you. I'm really trying not to, but it's quite it's quite difficult because I, I I find your the tone of your singing voice. That was the other thing about you know getting into your music. I was like, it's so unique uh, are you a baritone i guess so uh, yeah some I, I don't totally i guess i'm a baritone my range is baritone i can go quite low for a baritone mm. and i can go quite high for a baritone but i'm definitely not a tenor and i'm definitely not a bass so yes <laughs> i think it's just got such a haunting quality and that's like a compliment mm. so it married with the beautiful lyrics and you know the arrangements of the music like it's just like it's just really different it's just really unique and mm. um Funny, I don't always see myself as a singer. Like that's been a real journey for me. What? Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's get into that. Oh, What's that? I think um, I had I have had a lot of negative feedback about my voice over the years. Like from particularly from people. Yeah, just just um, just different bits of feedback that stick with you, I guess. And and also, I guess because I work in theatre and I work with a lot of singers that are just like really 
like really great singers you know that like really technically amazing singers and I, i'm not i'm not really that like i'm not a virtuosic vocalist like I, I sing my singing has feeling in it and i like i sing with feeling but i i can't do all the things that some singers can do um and but yeah i've i've learned to i've learned to kind of write for my voice and and love it for what it does you know i love tom waits and some people would say he's not a good singer so um but yeah it's interesting that journey of allowing myself to be a, a singer songwriter i've not always found easy mm. um but enjoying it now more than ever so and you use the word feeling i think that's the most important thing you know if you're going to listen to if you're going to commit yourself to listen to somebody's music if you're going to go and see them live you have to get that that feeling and like you say the you, you don't have to be like the most perfect singer in the world this you know it's amazing if you can do the mariah carey runs or whatever do you know what I mean? <laughs> like what that doesn't you're not necessarily going to engage with that you're not necessarily going to be captivated by that you know it is that storytelling the feeling um and just the uniqueness like something that stands out that doesn't sound like anybody else and i think that's what your voice does as well like when i hear it i'm like oh that's that's definitely financial oh, that means a lot thank you it sounds like you've just over the years built that confidence around I don't think that I'm a singer but I love doing this so I'm going to sing anyway yeah and and realizing like as I've slowly started to find an audience for my own music that people resonate with me telling my own stories I guess and and that that that's that's what my music is about it's not about pop song it's not about finding the best songwriter the best producer the best singer and putting that together it's about kind of me being my authentic me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you think of your heroes, musical heroes that you've followed over the years, like you invest in that person as well and you, you listen to the words and you're like, oh, I wonder what they meant by that and I wonder who they're singing about there. And that is that element of being a singer-songwriter that other people want to engage with. They want to get to know you mm. through your music. Yeah, it's a special way so to connect, sense. connect with people. Absolutely. So I think, because I first was introduced to you with, you know, the Boa Frost clip and then I'm like, oh, right, so Finn Anderson's singer-songwriter. And then I was like, what's this Islander thing? What's this? <laughs> and I'm like, what? You write musicals. like, And then just, again, deep dive into all of that. And then, you know, I'm reading, so I'm on your website and I'm like, no, no, not just like one musical, like four award-nominated <laughs> musicals that you have composed the music for. Like, that's incredible. Hmm. I mean, we know where that really started away back when you went to see um dr doolin <laughs> <Such a strange beginning. laughs> i mean i do love animals so maybe it's not that strange but yeah do you know that's one one musical i've not seen actually yeah, i mean i, I can't i was <laughs> so young when i saw it i'm wary of recommending but um, <laughs> okay i mean i'll listen after a pandemic i'm going to see you until like the opening of an envelope i'm going Don't to that <laughs> give me all the shows but um yeah so where did that journey really start in terms of you know your career and your 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 efforts and your energies and your creativities going into writing musicals yeah i guess it was a it was a thing that i did a lot when i was younger and so on got good at and like that sort of allowed me to fit, fit in in certain places or was like to find my tribe along the way and um yeah and then i moved down to london for a year i was there for a couple of years um the first year i was doing a master's in musical theatre writing and I met a lot of people on that course mm. um, and then I stuck around for a year sort of mostly just sort of teaching um, like drama and singing which there are so many people in the world that are better at that than me um, but I had a lot of fun um, and yeah I, I worked on so a show that I'd, I'd kind of done um, taken a show to the fringe like before I went down to London with a bunch of friends um which we all just sort of did for nothing and chipped in and and made it happen um back when the fringe was like almost affordable to to take shows um <laughs> it wasn't very good but it you know it gave me a lot of experience of of doing you know pr producing directing um mm. writing musicals and and kind of just by this mad fluke this company in london who were in quite an, the early stage found out about this show and so it ended up having a run in london while i was there like it got rewritten and changed a lot but um i ended up being the like, composer and songwriter on the show which opened um down in london kind of on the fringes wow. um and that yeah that opened quite a lot of doors for me and that that was just sort of through them 
I think I'd written to them when I was thinking about moving down to London because they did concerts and stuff in a company called Interval Productions. And um, yeah, and so that happened. And then I stuck, stuck around London for a bit and I met quite a lot of people through that. But then I, I came back to Scotland to bring a show, an, another show that I had an idea of writing. And I did a crowdfunding campaign and got some money to bring that to the fringe. And so that was just me and like a small cast of actors. And at that stage, I was producing, writing, directing everything not performing anymore um, I'm not an actor and then I decided to stay in Scotland after that and yeah kind of reached out to a lot of a lot of different folk and and was just very lucky to get some like little bits of work doing I worked at the Citizens Theatre with our young company for a bit and other kinds of things that that happened around Glasgow Um I moved back to I moved to Glasgow and yeah just kind of slowly found my way into doing more and more what I want to do and that's been a yeah, in terms of career, I guess it's been a lot of composing little bits for different things, doing anything that I could for money until now I'm at a point where I'm able to now be focusing much more on just like creating music, musical theatre that I'm, there are yeah. stories I'm really passionate about telling and my own solo stuff. So kind of moving away from being a composer for hire, which I spent quite a lot of years taking any any composing work that I could and teaching work. Of course. But I saw on your, um, your Instagram today that Islander, it had its first Korean production just recently. Yeah. Like, that's mad. That's amazing. Wild. What a journey that that show has gone on. And, you know, so when did you first put that show on? So when that, was the first the production? The first production of Islander was in 2018. So we did the first, um, like, R&D workshop for it, which was, was me and the director and writer and two actors on the Isle of Mull in 2017. And then we got funding to make the full show. And so basically, yeah, in 2018, we rehearsed for three weeks and sort of devised it. Basically, we devised the whole show in three weeks. We were just writing in the evenings, rehearsing during the day. And then it went on tour around Scotland. And then we got funding, um, made in Scotland funding to take it to the Fringe the next year. And so we rewrote it for the festival the next year. And then that that production transferred to London and, and a lot of people saw it at the Fringe. And that's kind of where all of these different things have come from that there's been a translation in Poland it was in Polish and it's now been in Korea and Korean translated into Korean and um, there's been a student production in the States and another smaller company in the States too and we're kind of in talks about other but yeah it's just kind of growing and growing it's it's really cool ah and like you're saying it's a two-hander and then correct me if I'm wrong but it, but you use like looping technology to then build because I was watching a yeah. clip of to the performers singing it was like a YouTube clip and they were, you know, it was like that they were building up all the harmonies and it was so effective. And then there was like, they were clapping and the next minute that was involved. And I was like, that's so clever. Like two people and they made this incredible sound. So does that all happen? How does that, is that? Yeah. So the whole, the whole show, the concept was that we'd create something that was small enough to, and kind of self-contained to tour around those small Highlands and Islands community venues. And so there's no set really, there's no props. There's just two microphones and a loop station and their voices and, they create all of the sound effects in the show, whether it's the, the ocean or a helicopter or the boat and the storm, using just microphones and effects and looping. Um, and loop, looping, for anyone that doesn't know, is there's basically this machine. It's got five tracks on it, and they can layer up a sound or, or a musical thing, and then they can add something on top of that and build it up from there. And so the whole score, all the music for the show is made live every night um, by these two performers, Bethany Tenick and Kirsty Finley, and... And yeah, they layer up all the music with just their voices and clapping and stamping, and and then they play around with a lot of effects on the loop station. So it's really really fun to watch, and really it's, hard to make. It feels it sounds really playful. Ah, oh, yeah, that's what I'm just saying. Because I think, I mean, obviously I've been aware of that before, but not as a, you know, something that you would use necessarily in performance. I think did Ed Sheeran not use it at some point in one of his performances? I think people are like, oh, how's he doing that? It's so unique and it's you know it's quite obviously like a, a unique selling point but just technically doing that in the moment you need to be like totally on point and then you're relying on this technology to work like there must be a moment where everybody's like oh, sure. and there are moments Break where it goes wrong and yeah <laughs> <laughs> totally but that is so cool to, to be able to build this whole landscape this whole soundscape with just two people and and seeing it live it sounds i mean I, I, obviously i want to see the show now i'm desperate to see it but um it sounds really playful 
It's really playful and it's for the actors. And it's really it really forces the audience to use their imagination because because there's no set and props that the whole world for the show it's quite a physical show too, but but the whole world is created using mm. sound and, and so we transport the audience to all these places just using sound and and using not naturalistic sound, kind of these suggestive sounds. But yeah, I think the beauty of it is that it, you it's it could only be done in theatre, like you know, I mean, it has been done in other mediums, but we had to adapt it into into different mm. because it's so much about the world of the imagination and and letting these storytellers take you on that journey. Yeah, I like it. It's like making the audience yeah. work. You're not coming in here and just being totally. passive. <laughs> You've got got to use that imagination. Well, and I think theatre has to do that <laughs> like now that. more than ever. You know, Netflix is really good these days. Like, there's a lot of great art we can consume at home. I think if you're going to bring people out of their house through the rain like across the city and they're going to spend a tenner sometimes a lot more <laughs> to come and see mm. something then it has to be has to do what only theatre can do and is there a moment where you send again that baby that really precious baby that you've created you've made you've nurtured out into the world and then like you know because these other productions are happening in the world and it's been translated is that always exciting for you is it is there a bit of trepidation like what's involved yeah, in that I mean, Islanders thought process? First thing that's ever that's ever really had that kind of life that I've worked on, you know, I've made a few a few different shows, but none of them have been translated into other languages or been performed in a place where I'm not there. Um, and that is strange, and particularly for Islander, because it's really hard to write. Like it's just really hard to communicate how to make the show just in writing, because it's so practical and it's so technical. Yes. Um, that that's been really challenging, really fun and really amazing to then get to watch mm. a video of of someone having made it across the other side of the world. Um, but yeah, you do, it's like it has a life beyond you, doesn't it? And I guess that's the dream as, as a writer or a songwriter or any kind of creator that's creating something that you're putting out into the world that it then goes and has its own life that you're sort of not in control of anymore. And yeah, that's great. Absolutely. It's lovely. You've got that element of your work, but I guess, you know, it's a, it's like a little sailboat mm. out in the world going on an adventure while you're back here just making an album, you know, and I, I wonder, is that is that how it works? You know, you, you send one project out into the world, but you're already thinking about the next one, or already on that, spinning that plate well, already. Usually I'm just working on them all at once, and that's what I'm trying to get better at, <laughs> to be honest. It's like, how do, how do we, um, how do we not be working on everything all of the time? Because it's, yeah, it's like, mm. yeah, it's just hard to juggle that. Um, it's not like my time is scheduled where I get three months to work on one project, three months to work on another. That is my dream. Like I'd love to have six months to really write a musical properly from start to finish and do all the things it takes rather than do it in like week here and there over five years, which is more what it's like at the moment. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have a project like Islander that, that goes away and then comes back and goes away and comes back because also you... It, you check in with yourself about how you've changed since you worked on it last or yeah and it's nice to go back and and see something you made all that time ago and be like oh yeah we did that totally and the world is starting to slowly open up and i know there's still obviously a lot of anxieties around that um but have you had any opportunity to perform the album as yet not since it came out so i had i've had a couple gigs earlier on they both out like outdoor things um but i am going on mm. tour in december so i'll get to play <gasps> the album properly to the people that have been listening to it and that I, yeah i can't wait for that it's it's weird putting an album out into the world in this sort of virtual way you know i didn't do any launch or anything like that and lots of messages and, and emails and you know response on social media and all that stuff but to actually be in a room connecting with people and yeah, so that'll be that'll be great. I'm just around the UK for six six dates in December, so I can't. Amazing. Well, obviously, we'll we will share all of those oh, details when they are have to come along, readily yeah. available. Yes. <laughs> and what does performing live give you that all of those other beautiful processes don't? I guess immediate connection with other people. Like it's a very yeah, theatre is always quite, de it's quite detached. You know, you spend so long working on something and then you like sit at the back of the room and you watch people watch it. <laughs> um, <Yes>. And... That's <laughs> so true. I remember, I remember I did a production of uh, Sunshine and Leith mm. and Stephen Greenhorn came to watch it and I literally just watched the back of his right, head the entire yeah. time. <laughs> 
I couldn't even like, see his face, but I was just like, well, I'll be able to tell if he's enjoying this by looking yeah. at the back of his head the whole time. And it's actually, so I find that detachment really healthy because I would I would struggle to be a performer all the time, you know, and be the centre of attention all the time. That's not really my my personality. Like, I do get very nervous about performing mm-hmm. and um, about being the centre of attention. Um, but I also really love, I love being up there and having you know direct access to to people and being able to speak one-to-one to to an audience you know i know like gigs where you can be in a room and you can make eye contact with everyone and it's very intimate and um so yeah that's just like a whole different kind of experience and yeah the best gigs feel like you're gathered around a bonfire sharing songs i guess have you selected more intimate venues this for this this tour that you're doing nice i think none of the venues are it's like 100 150 audience max so mm-hmm. and when yeah that's that's quite small for, and some of them are smaller than that but um yeah it's gonna feel really cozy which is really nice and it's just yeah sounds lovely just me and a cello which will be beautiful oh a nice one yeah. i mean we, we have obviously n- named quite a few of your highlights along the way but i don't want to pick those for you i don't want to assume that i know all of the highlights because highlights for you could have been this one day in the rehearsal room this thing happened and actually you know a highlight for you are there particular moments that stand out for you and, and that could be over your entire career thus far that's such a hard question um i think the moments in the theater for me that stand out are like they're not really the opening nights or like they're like the moments in rehearsal when things come alive for the first time so it's like you've you've been sitting with this thing you've been writing it and then like the the string players come in for the first time and you sing through that one song and you're like, oh, okay, this thing's like, it's living and it's alive. Um, I had a moment, there's a project I'm working on called The Bowmaker. It's a new musical and it's collaboration with a Brazilian musician and with Tanya, the director, she's half Portuguese and, and me and it fuses kind of Scottish music, Brazilian music and classical music. And we did a workshop in Ooh. at the start of last year, which feels like a lifetime ago now, but we had two Brazilian actors slash singers and two Scottish actors singers. And then we had string players and we had a Brazilian musician on percussion. And like the first time that they were all in the room playing through the music. And it's just like, yeah, in theatre, it's like when everyone comes together and the, the thing just sings in a way that it can't when it's just in your head. I've got lots of those like mm. really special moments, memories, highlights. And there's certain gigs that I'll remember forever, like really special gigs. Um, Boa Frosh actually was... Is, was one of them it was for those yeah they don't know Bofrosh is a, a collective a community of lgbt plus musicians predominantly folk musicians from all around scotland kind of telling stories um in the folk tradition but telling stories of the queer community and and the first gig that that, that collective did at celtic connections was just a, like a magic moment one of those mad moments of feeling part of a community that i hadn't felt since childhood it was just such a so yeah, when when music and art has like the potential to really bring people together, and and that's really exciting too. I've totally not answered your question, have I? You totally have. I do think though, which is interesting, which I realise more and more is that it's not the moments you think it'll be. Like it's not, it's not the moments mm. that you would usually think of as the successful moments. Like they're not the moments that you know the things you dreamed about when you were little. Like those those starry moments or those press nights or awards or what, like all that stuff that's not the stuff that that you remember and actually often that's the stuff where you just like whiz by and you don't even see it happen it's where you're really in the moment making the thing are there any particular hurdles that you've overcome i mean i know you mentioned about about performing and you get nervous about that is that would you say that is that a hurdle that you're constantly having to yeah and i guess that the bigger picture of that is probably self-doubt isn't it um, which I think everyone in all walk of life struggles with. It's a recurring theme on this yeah, podcast. Don't worry, we're the same. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a, that's definitely a thing, um, which comes back to bite all the time. Um, and just t- the demands of a capitalist society having to balance, like having to balance work and money, like in in, in not even in not even just in a boring way, but kind of. Just making sure that you leave time for all the creative projects to feel really creative. Remembering the priorities um, and taking time to rest and finding, yeah, finding the joy, remembering to find the joy in it, I guess. And impatience. I'm very impatient. 
so I like projects. Oh, well, know. I'm like creatively impatient. Like I, you know, I want I want things to happen now, but then you've got to you've got to let them run their course and assemble the team and you know all those kinds of things that take time. But when you've got an idea, you just want to make it happen. And is the captain of that ship, you know, at the helm of a lot of these projects that you're doing? How are you in that role? You know, are you comfortable as a leader? Yeah, I guess I don't, probably don't see myself as, as a leader so much. I, I don't necessarily think I'm often the captain of, I don't feel like a captain of a ship. Um, but no, I'm very, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a patient person, like, when, when I'm working with people. Um, and I love, mm. I love working with people, and I love bringing the best out of other people. Like I love to, to make everyone feel invested in a creative process. And you know, I think it's so much whether you're in a studio or rehearsal room, the atmosphere that you set, and the tone that you set for the way that people just exist together and work together, often is what leads to the best work. You know, people if people feel safe and listened to, cared for, valued like cozy warm and creative and well fed i'm always cooking for people ask any anyone i'm working with always bringing food um so yeah yeah i think i see it more like hosting hosting or hosting a party than i do like steering a ship i like that you're just having a shindig right exactly life is just one big shindig (laughs) (laughs) i love it in terms of the storytelling aspect of your life's work, are there any particular stories that you are desperate to tell? Mm. I find myself, I guess, um, yeah, drawn at the moment more and more towards stories about human relationship to the natural world. And that's something which I care a lot about and also something which is very hard to, to move your mind away from um, at the moment. So, yeah, I'm really drawn to those kinds of stories. And and also stories that that talk about collaboration or relationship between different cultures or people that might be very different from one another and and I think music's got such an amazing part to play in that because you know music yeah music tells the story of our relationship to one another it tells the story of migration it tells the story of it just tells the history of the world in in all the different places you know and particularly the history of people and how they've traveled and their relationships with one another and how they've evolved so musical theatre and, and music is really well placed to tell those kinds of global stories I think so yeah mm. that, but that's not yeah not a specific story but those are themes I'm thinking about just now well I very much look forward to your next creation mm. coming out in the world and um, obviously wishing you just a lovely time on your tour because it sounds that you de- you, de- you definitely deserve to get out in the world and and be in those intimate spaces and, and share your music with other people. Because I know, having spoke to so many different creatives over the last two years of this pandemic, that that's just been mm-hmm. such a longing to be in the room with other humans. Yeah, and making an album in a way has has felt like an alternative to that for me. Like being able to create something, because obviously theatre has been pretty much impossible to make in its normal form, but... It's been the perfect time in many ways to lock yourself away and make an album that you can put out into the world and people can listen to in their own time. And So yeah, I feel like I've had that creative connection, which is really nice. But yeah, there's nothing like being in a room with people. I can't wait for that. Now, on this podcast, I do a thing called the Hingamajigs, which are just random questions that I like to ask my guests at the end of the podcast, just to get to know them a wee bit better. Can you finish the sentence? When I was wee, I... Wished I fitted in. Mm. Yeah. But now yeah. I'm trying really hard not to, and that's good. <laughs> I mean, there's a sound bite for you. Yes, more of that. Absolutely. Um, oh, you talk about, you talked about, um, we're, we're staying on the theme of childhood for a wee second. What was your um, favourite childhood meal? Oh, my favourite childhood meal. Oh, that's really hard. Um, I really do like food a lot. Um, <laughs> the first thing I learned to cook was pasta, pasta with cheese, which <laughs> was was not was not a particularly exciting meal, but um, I enjoyed it a lot because I started a wee cafe and I would I charge my parents twenty p for pasta with cheese. So I guess that was one of my favourite meals because I made a profit <laughs> out of it. <laughs> Such an entrepreneurial spirit. I'm I'm hearing. Maybe actually, can I can I say sticky toffee pudding? That would probably be my favourite meal. Is that a meal? Aye, 
when I was wee. Why not? It's your, it's your question. Like, you can answer how you like. Dessert. Dessert was my favourite meal. <laughs> um, what's a moment in your past that you would want to relive again? The first time that I ever um, went into... I remember my, my, my parents took me along to like a wee Saturday morning in the theatre performance school and I walked into that room and my mum always says like it was like all the just like everything drained out off my shoulders and I just felt like ah like I I belong here and I I remember that feeling and it makes me feel quite emotional now just thinking about about that but I'd love to relive that that first feeling of being like oh there's a place where I can be me that's lovely that's important Everybody should get that, that moment. Mm, yeah, everybody should get that, for sure. If you could only listen to one song forevermore, what song would you listen to? Possibly Joni Mitchell's A Case of You. Yes. Or Bjork, uh, Yoga. I know I've cheated. That's two songs. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Give me either, I'll be happy. Um... And the question that I ask everyone in the podcast, so I switch up all the rest of them, but the question that I ask, because it's called the Brawn the Brave, is what is your favourite Scots word or phrase? Um, I guess I always, I've always really liked Lang May Your Lumreek, which I mean Long May Your Chimney Smoke, which is just such a nice, it's just such a beautiful way of wishing someone health. I really like that. Well, Finn Anderson, Lang May Your Lumreek. Lang me your lumreek. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's been so nice chatting to you. Thank you. And I wish you all the best. Thank you for your beautiful music. Um, I look forward to enjoying more of it and really getting to appreciate this new album. I'll put all the links in the show notes so everyone can go and find you. And I wish you all the best for all your other mm. creative endeavours. And thanks for joining the Bra Brave clan. You're in the clan now. I'm in the clan. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now. <laughs>